Hello and welcome to the Nourish Practice podcast, a podcast focused on all things intuitive eating, intuitive movement and helping you heal your relationship to food while moving away from diet culture in hopefully a nice relaxed way. There'll be a mixture of solo episodes and guest interviews. Any topics you would like included just send me a DM on Instagram at Nourish Practice and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. So this week I'm delighted to have a guest on and today we have Sarah. She is the founder of FIG Food is Good Nutrition and is a registered associate nutritionist and yoga teacher specialising in digestion and disordered eating. Combining a unique blend of nutrition and mindfulness, she helps to support individuals to beat the bloat without restrictions, helping you to develop a healthy and happy relationship to food. So you can see fits everything in the ethos that we have here at Nourish Practice and it was super nice to have a chat to Sarah. Um, I learned quite a lot, hopefully you learn quite a lot and do give us any feedback and I'll put her Instagram in the link below. So I've recorded a brief introduction but we'd like to welcome Sarah from Fig or Food is Good Nutrition to the podcast. Now like I said I've done that little bio but if there's anything you would like to highlight about the work you do or a sort of one sentence thing feel free to to do it now introduce yourself very briefly great Casey thanks very much um so my name is Sarah I am a nutritionist and a yoga teacher and I specialize in digestive health and disordered eating uh two very common themes that cross over quite a bit um so my favorite thing to do is to help people who suffer with chronic digestive issues to basically overcome their digestive issues but without the the food restrictions and so a lot of people who come to me have tried all the elimination diets all the food restrictions they might have a very limited kind of food intake um, or a very limited diet and basically they're at a point where they're not seeing any improvements they're tired and exhausted because they're eating basically nothing and their digestion is just in a terrible way so I like to help them to kind of get out of that cycle and uh, really see those improvements in their digestion and their relationship to food. Amazing sounds very on brand with everything um, we're about here so today was sort of about disordered eating digestion and we've got a few questions and talking points so first thing is there a link between food guilt and digestion so would would that affect the way you digest things? Absolutely. So this is something that I kind of see a lot on a one-to-one basis. And um, it's something that I recently did a group program and it came up with pretty much all of the individuals on the program. And um, it was a real aha moment for them. So I think it's just something that I want to speak a bit a lot more about now because it seems that so many people are experiencing this, but obviously it's not something that comes up in conversation. Um, So food guilt is, I suppose if we think about what exactly is food guilt to begin with. So food guilt is kind of any sort of negative association, stress or anxiety associated with eating any particular food. So that's a very kind of vague um, description of what that means. So maybe we might have experienced it in some different forms, such as, you know, you hear sometimes people saying things like, oh, I'm so bad for for, uh, eating that cake or um, I'm so bold or, you know, all these sorts of associations or Uh, just not feeling good about eating foods and maybe experiencing guilt or shame or those sorts of things. Very common thing I notice on a one-to-one basis. Um, But it comes up quite a bit in digestion. And the reason being, I think for anybody who suffers with digestive issues, 
I think I am included in that. Um, we've all gone down the route of figuring, trying to figure out what is causing the digestive issues. And the first thing that we look at is always food, isn't it? Which, which makes sense because we, we digest food, we eat something, we might feel sick after, that sort of thing. So you go down this rabbit hole of exploring what are the most common food triggers of digestive issues? What should I be putting out? What should I be avoiding? All in all, because we want to feel better. Um, so if we're thinking about, okay, these are the foods that I shouldn't be eating. Um, and then I eat the food for whatever reason, maybe it's by accident, maybe it's actually because it's a food that I quite enjoy. Sometimes you might experience guilt after eating that because, well, it's something I shouldn't have eaten. Now my digestive system is in a hoolie and it's all my fault. And then all that kind of negative um, feelings, thoughts, beliefs kind of continue after that. So if we think about how exactly food guilt can maybe contribute to digestive issues, definitely see this showing up as a trigger in itself. Um, it tends to be come up in kind of three different forms. So I've talked a little bit about that sort of guilt after eating. But first of all, if we think about, I'm going to use gluten as an example, because it's kind of one that is, is really common in, in this situation. So let's say I read online that um, gluten containing foods cause digestive issues. Therefore, I should avoid gluten. Maybe I've gone to the doctor and I've had a test for celiac disease and I'm all clear. No celiac disease. Great. But still, I don't feel good after I eat um I eat gluten. So if you think about the foods that gluten is found in, things like pizza, bread, cakes, all these really nice tasty foods that we enjoy, pasta, those sorts of things. So let's say for example, then realistically, these foods are really hard to avoid 100%, particularly if you don't have celiac disease where it's, it's you know, it's more of a, I want to avoid this because I don't feel good rather than it causing me really i don't want to say it doesn't cause you harm because it does cause you harm if you don't feel good but um yeah. ultimately we're probably going to end up eating that food at some point be that you know you go out with a friend and they get pizza or um you're thinking of having a bowl of pasta because it's really tasty or whatever so what tends to happen is number one how we eat can have a big impact on our digestive system so if you think about these foods they taste really good and um, we might feel quite excited when we eat them so sometimes you might eat those foods a little bit more quickly. Um, one side of that could even be to, you know, almost get rid of the food as well. If the food isn't there, then almost like out of sight, out of mind, that can be a big one for people. So if I eat that food a little bit more quickly, what can sometimes happen is I might also suck in air with that food. I might chew the food enough. I might be swallowing larger particles of food. Mm. And all of this extra volume between the size of the food particles, the extra air, um, I'm swallowing this down into digest my di digestive system, which may not be fully ready for that meal coming in. And this tends to really contribute to things like bloating, cramps, pain. Sometimes it can alter bowel habits as well. And then you've got those negative associations kind of coming after that. Oh, I'm so bad. I feel awful. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't eat this. And then that kind of cycle continues. Um, so you have a very strong link between the gut and the brain. This is called the gut-brain axis. And people might be familiar with experiencing that sort of gut feeling, or you might notice maybe anxiety feelings in the gut if you've got to stand up and do a talk in front of people or a presentation, or you might notice that excitement in the belly for something you're about to do that's really fun, or even that like kind of pit in the stomach when you experience fear. This is that kind of gut brain axis in, in action. And if we know that all these different emotions can show up in the gut, like your stress, your anxiety, your fear, your excitement, so too can guilt. So we might experience that physical sense of discomfort in the tummy after eating those foods too. So you've got that kind of physical aspect of how we're eating the food. 
then the emotional aspect of that coming in too. And a really big aspect of that is the, the nocebo effect. And I'll stop talking about this after the nocebo effect. So I know this is a bit really long answer to one question. But the nocebo effect is a huge one that comes up in digestive issues all the time. It comes up in nutrition as well, but particularly in digestive issues. And if we think about the nocebo effect, it might be a term that people may or may not be familiar with. If you think of it as the opposite of the placebo effect, so some people have heard of the placebo effect where I, you know, you take a pill, you think it um, gets rid of headaches and that person experiences a real physical benefit due to the expectation of benefits. So they might actually have get rid of their headache taking a pill that is actually just a sugar pill and a dummy. And that's due to the expectation, the psychological kind of expectation that they're going to see that improvement. So the nocebo effect is almost like the opposite end of that, where I have a, a thought, a belief, an expectation that this food is going to cause me harm or this thing that I eat is going to cause me to feel a certain way. And then I can experience a real physical response to that. So it's not a thing that, oh, it's all in your head. It's a case of, I believe I'm going to go with gluten again. I believe that gluten is a food that causes my digestive issues, whether or not it does. Therefore, I may be likely to experience real physical symptoms as a result of eating that food due to that expectation of um, those those symptoms. And um, so it's a really interesting area, the food guilt. It's very um very interesting area to experience or to um, explore because obviously you need to ex identify that there's definitely no intolerances there as a starting point, but particularly with gluten like that, if you've got um, a, a negative celiac disease, then there's definitely a, a, a potential that the nocebo effect and our food guilt and thoughts and beliefs can definitely play a role in that. So you have that sort of physical side to kind of simplify that. The physical side of how we're eating can play a role, and then how we feel about that food and how we feel about eating that food after can really contribute to those digestive issues. Yeah, no, you can't see me, but I, I'm nodding away in the background going, yes, yes. Um, especially <laughs> gluten is that one. I get so many people going, I'm not intolerant, but I just, the effects of it. But you can tell there is that mental aspect of every time they approach gluten or think about it. Um, and also the eating speed as someone who used to eat really fast. I'm like, yes, I... I get that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to be like so much air going in um, at the same time and that slowing down yeah. did really help. Yeah, and I think we've all done it. We? And we've all been there where there's a food that I know for me as someone who suffers with IBS myself, I've definitely been there. I've been the person who's put out all the foods. I have um, had these thoughts and beliefs about certain foods and now a few years on, I eat them with no problem, you know. So it's, it's an interesting area for sure and um, it's definitely not... You know it's not the person's fault it's just about what information is out there what they're reading what they're hearing and we definitely internalize those and it can really contribute it can almost cause more harm to our digestive system than good in some cases so on that note of sort of how we approach food and speed, speed we eat food how it affects our, our brain sort of creating that little bit of relaxation is there a link between mindfulness and beneficial effects for digestion because often with intuitive eating it'll be stuff like eat a little slower try and be present when you're eating to really notice what you're taking in is there actually an effect on digestion of things like that as well yeah absolutely so mindfulness it's such a interesting area um and i know you're a yoga teacher as well so we have a special yeah. interest with those and that sort of side of things but in terms of the research it has just so many benefits in terms of so many aspects of our health so we know it's associated with 
you know, improves emotional regulation, which is going to be really helpful in supporting our relationship with food. And um, it's associated with reduced levels of stress and anxiety. And these are two very big triggers of digestive issues. So it's going to be very, very helpful for the physical digestive system. Um, it's also associated with improved digestion due to how we're eating again, which I'll go into now in a minute, which is really, really helpful. And then in terms of, it's also associated with reduced pain scores and body dissatisfaction. So if we are somebody who suffers with chronic digestive issues or bloating, it can really impact how we feel in our body and how we see our body and our relationship to our body. So it's really helpful in, you know, kind of detaching from, you know, how I feel about my body in those cases. And also the pain that some people experience with different therapies, it can be quite painful to experience. Um, so MyFist is an incredible tool in, in a whole host of areas there in terms of digestive issues and beyond. But in terms of how it like positively impacts our digestive system. So I think a good way to touch on this is to kind of delve into a little bit about the stress response, I suppose. Um, so when we're in a stress state, our digestive system is essentially compromised. Um, and if we think about it from a biological perspective, our stress response is a biological response to a perceived threat to life. Um, so if our brain perceives a situation to potentially be a risk to our safety or our survival, then all energy is prioritized for getting us out of that situation and keeping us safe. And what it does there is potentially even takes energy from systems that aren't necessary in that response. So for example, that might be reproduction, it might be digestive issues, it could be anything else. It's all about supporting the digest or the, the full body to survive in that situation. So if we think about in the stress response, to really, really simplify, if we think about almost the digestive system is almost like powered off. Blood is directed away from the digestive system to the working muscles. And for some people that might look like our digestive system slows down our digestive rate for some people it might speed up for some people it might alter basically our digestive system isn't functioning in the way that it should and how it normally should um which can contribute to those digestive issues and if we think about i'm talking a lot about this like survival response this is definitely from when we lived back in the wild whereas now obviously we live in safe houses and all these sort of things there's lots of different stressors coming at us all at once we can unfortunately get stuck in this kind of chronic state of uh, fight or flight but what mindfulness does is mindfulness helps to take us out of that stress response so it, like breaks that stress cycle it helps us to become present in the moment which supports our body to come back to homeostasis coming into that almost rest and digest state and that supports our digestive system to work at a normal rate if we think about that in terms of eating, mindful eating is really supportive in aiding digestion because it just brings us to full attention and awareness of what we're doing in that process. So we're really focusing on the digestive, the act of eating and the digestive process. So a lot of the time we might be quite busy, we might have to eat on the go, or we might be juggling things, eating at the desk, eating in front of the TV, where our attention isn't actually at focus on the meal that we're eating and what we're doing. What this can do is we might end up then eating a little bit quicker, like we kind of touched on there already. So we might not be chewing our food quite enough. We might swallow those larger particles of food and we're swallowing into a more kind of maybe even a stressed sort of digestive system. So if we already know that 
our digestion is going to be compromised due to this sort of stress response. So if you're eating on the go or watching something that's stressing you out, like the news or something, you might be in that sort of straight state of, of stress. Your digestive system isn't working optimally. And then you're also swallowing down these larger particles of food, which are harder to digest and maybe sucking in air with that as well. So you're kind of creating a bit of a storm there in the tummy and it's only natural to experience then those digestive issues such as that kind of bloating, pain. And then in terms of bowel movements, if we're eating these larger meals, there's a little bit less routine and regularity within the digestive system, which can alter our bowel habits, which might increase urgency for some people, or it might result in slower motility and constipation for others. In terms of kind of that eating process, it's really important to point out that digestion starts before we even take our first bite. So when we see, smell, hear food in front of us, this sends a signal to the brain mm. that food is coming. And then the brain sends a message to the digestive system to say, hello, food is coming. Can you get, get ready for that incoming meal? So the gut will then start preparing by creating kind of digestive juices, stomach acid, enzymes, all these sorts of things. So it's ready to go when that meal comes in. When we take that first bite, the act of chewing, it's called mastication, breaks down our food. Ideally, we'd like to be breaking that down into kind of liquid-like sort of texture, as again, that's easier to for our digestive system to break down, to digest and to, to push through the digestive system rather than those kind of larger particles of food. So in many cases for people these days, what tends to happen is if we are eating on the go or eating with distractions or eating at the desk or whatever you have, and um, those kind of first two really key phases of digestion where we're seeing, hearing, smelling, that's the cephalic phase of digestion, the cephalic phase and then the mechanical phase of digestion tend to be skipped and that could cause kind of havoc in our tummy. So if we think about mindfulness as a whole, helps to reduce that stress and anxiety, taking us out of that stress response so our digestive system is ready for that meal. And then the act of mindful eating slows down the whole process so we can eat in a way that supports our gut to be able to digest our food yeah that's again not nodding away here um i feel nicely vindicated because when we talk about satisfaction with eating and intuitive eating when i talk to people about like oh notice the senses how does it smell how does it taste what's the texture you sometimes are a bit like does this feel a bit strange to over notice those things but actually if they're having such a nice impact on the rest of the digestive system it is worth taking that note of hmm, how can i use all those senses absolutely and it actually makes the whole eating experience more enjoyable when you do actually take that time mm. to sit down and you know even appreciate the the journey of that meal getting to your plate of you know whoever cooked the meal for you where the ingredients have come from you start to appreciate the value of that meal in front of you and then when you start to eat the food and you take that time to really taste it and to chew it and to notice the flavors you start to realize, oh my God, wow, I either really, really like the taste of this or it's actually not as good as I thought it was. And it helps you to get more in tune with what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy. And again, obviously getting those benefits in your digestion makes a huge, huge improvement there too. Yeah, tuning in is it's what it's all about. Um, on the sort of side, sidestep parallel to this, so we've talked about sort of when people don't have an intolerance and maybe they've got that mental aspect of how they approach things like gluten, dairy, etc. How would you advise someone who maybe wants to try intuitive eating or moving away from diets, but they have a known food intolerance or an allergy? How would they then approach it? Yeah, I think that's a really important topic to bring up if you're looking at intuitive eating with these sides of things, because 
if you do have a known allergy or a known intolerance, eating that food is not going to be good for you. You're not going to feel good. You're going to feel sick. It's not going to be supporting your health. And if we think about, you know, principle eight of respect, respecting your body, if we eat those foods that that don't support our health, it's not really an act of respect to our body. It's it's maybe an act of almost uh, um, rebellion or something. Um, but if we know that it's not going to, if we know well we've that this isn't going to make us feel good, then the best thing to do is to avoid that. And there are there are some cases in intuitive eating where you know you have a person in front of you who does have different needs, and we do need to kind of adapt in in response to that and there might be cases where some foods might need to be eliminated or avoided again coming back to that respecting your body and then principle 10 honoring your health so i think that's what's really important to keep in mind all those 10 principles and how they're going to look like for you because it's going to look so different for every individual particularly if that's something that's coming up in terms of allergies or intolerances yeah i think it's like I said, it's not one size fits all. It's so important to, to take that into account. And I'm always commenting, so someone I work with is celiac and she always says, if you compare nowadays to a few years ago, the options that you have are so vast now that actually there is a li- little bit more ability to find foods you really do like and do satisfy you that are gluten-free or dairy-free, um, etc. I was going to ask, do you have any thoughts you may you may think they're a great idea or be against them or ambivalent about I've seen a lot of trend on Instagram for elimination diets maybe cutting out whole food groups um going low FODMAP that sort of stuff is it something you'd recommend or is there maybe other stuff that you need to look at with your eating first when it comes to digestion yeah I think with elimination diets what's important to know is they have a place but they they don't have to be the be all and end all particularly if we're thinking about digestive issues um, I know for my own experience and for pretty much every person I've worked with, um, that's almost been their first port of call, be it that they've seen a doctor who's recommended, um, let's say, the low FODMAP diet, um, or it might be a thing that they've Googled. So for a lot of people in the digestive space who are suffering, that is kind of the first line of action that they're offered. Um, which can be frustrating in ways because it's extremely difficult to do these things by yourself and to try and navigate things. It adds very, it adds quite a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, can be quite isolating. Um, I wouldn't say I'm against them, but I just think that they're definitely something that are great for a down the line when everything else hasn't worked. So if we think about um, in terms of digestive issues, particularly for say irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, there are um, a number of first and second line interventions that would be ideally implemented before touching on elimination diets and unfortunately a lot of people aren't aware of that because it's something that isn't spoken about a lot online if you speak with a dietitian or a nutritionist you're always going to be starting with those but in the case of even gp surgeries it doesn't seem to be something that's um that's mentioned very often but the main kind of starting point in terms of first or second line interventions will be first line interventions will be looking at making sure that you're eating regular meals if we're eating regular meals, that creates routine and regularity in the gut, which supports gut motility, provides enough energy from our food to support the digestive process. We also want to be looking at our fluid intake, want to be looking at fiber intake. And these tend to be two really big areas that I work on on a one-to-one basis. And um, because we, if we're coming from a place of restriction, a lot of the foods on those diets 
tend to be key sources of fiber. And it's when we start looking at reintroducing different forms of fiber that they see really big improvements. Um, then looking at things like your stress management, your sleep, um, how you're moving your body. If you're moving too much, it's not always so good for the body if or the digestive system. If you're not moving enough again, it's also not so good for the digestive system. Um, and a big one, I suppose, for me would be looking at your relationship to food, which can be very much um, impacted by these elimination diets. If you've gone through all of those interventions and none of them have worked and you're still struggling, what's really important to remember with elimination diets as well is that these have three key phases. So if we think of the low FODMAP diet, we have the elimination phase. So that should last about two to six weeks, max six weeks. If you don't see any improvement past the six week mark, it's a good indication that the food is probably not the, the main trigger for you. After the six weeks, we want to be looking at reintroducing these foods. And the important part about this is when we reintroduce these foods, we get to see what are the foods that are causing the issue. If we don't do the reintroduction phase, number one, we don't know what the triggers are. And number two, your result, you're left then with a very limited number of foods that you can eat that results in maybe lower fiber intake, lower nutrient intake, risk of deficiency diseases, low energy levels. And then the final phase is the personalization phase. Once we start to reintroduce the foods, we get to see what level of each food we are able to tolerate. And then you personalize that. And then again, that helps to enhance your, your nutrient intake, ensure that you're getting a nice varied diet. In my experience, most people tend to get stuck in the elimination phase, mainly due to lack of understanding of what an elimination diet is, and also a lot to do with you know, the lack of support. They don't either don't know that support is available or they don't know where to look. And um, so just if you are ever going on an elimination diet, make sure you're doing that reintroduction. Um, and I'd also always really recommend looking at getting support with it because it, it is stressful, it's tedious, it's hard work, and it can be quite isolating. Um, so my answer to the question would be they have a place, but in, in my experience, they tend to be very much down the pecking order when you look at everything else. And uh, um, they're really not always they're not always necessary, you know. You can do a lot by adding things in and and in, and and looking at all these other areas without having to ever cut anything out. In most, in some cases. Yeah. No, that sounds super. And again, nodding my head away here. Um, when I chat to people about being a nutritionist, I always laugh because I say actually such a small part is about food. So much is stress, yeah. sleep, life, and just all these other factors before you even necessarily get to food in the way that you would you would inherently think of people go oh, you're just telling nutrient information but it's like it, it so many factors are involved um so last sort of thing for me here sometimes when people start intuitive eating or just increasing their intake if they've been restricting for quite a while they might find that they experience a little bit more bloating than normal sometimes uncomfortable sometimes just not what they used to do you have any tips to help help deal with that physically or yeah. how to approach it yeah I think that um the first thing would be to say is that's very normal if we think about the digestive system it's very sensitive it's very routine so if we change anything be that more food intake um a larger portion size of a meal more fiber it's always going to probably react in some way it's almost I always think of it like an old man when you change its routine they'll give out for a bit and then they'll get get used to it and it'll be fine 
but um, that is very normal that to experience those those symptoms initially are normal to just give it time try and be patient with yourself try to be kind to yourself because a lot of the time when we experience these digestive issues it can be really hard we might feel like we want to beat ourselves if we're doing something wrong so my the key thing would be be patient it is a process and um, there's lots of unlearning to be done there's lots of learning to be done and um, it does kind of take time you might be set back at some some points but it's all about learning and then yeah just remaining kind to yourself and compassionate that you know it's all part of the process and once you get through the other side it's it's all going to be worth it yeah I think it's it's a process is is such a good reminder for all of us especially when it comes to any part of our health but I know often with digestion I know a few people with IBS it's like if I can get a quick quick answer but actually sometimes it is just learning your body's rhythms and giving it a little bit of time um with that, I'm going to go into the sort of full, I say quick fire questions, feel free to go into as much <laughs> or as little detail um, as you would like to finish. So first one, what is your favourite food, foods, however many you want to mm. list? Yeah, so if I think of like a cuisine, I'd say Indian. I love curries, um, mm. love all those bits and bobs. Um, I'm also a fan of a bit of chocolate as well, so I love a lint ball. <laughs> yes. So... Yeah, I'll stop there because I could be here for, for hours <laughs> talking about how much <laughs> I was going to say Christmas is coming and the lint balls at Christmas are just amazing. Um, what is your favourite form of movement? This one depends a lot on my mood, I think. Um, I really like mm. team sport. So I really like the, the aspect of, you know, moving, playing kind of field sport, uh, working with people, uh, the kind of fun that you have, buzzing off each other. And then other times I love yoga. I love slowing down I love stretching out my body I love practicing that mindfulness and I like doing that in a form of movement um so I would say depending on my mood it's probably going to be either team sport or yoga amazing I'm a big fan of changing up the routine and not having <laughs> not having one set thing um I sort of chose nourished practice as a sort of business title as it were based on what nourished means to me what does the word nourished mean to you as a concept as a word what a great question. I feel like nourished encompasses so many aspects beyond food. So I think it covers, you know, making sure that you're you're really supporting your body through the food that you eat. That includes, you know, those lovely nutrient dense foods also includes the foods that we enjoy um, that will help us to be more more social being around people, because I think that social aspect is so important for nourishing our mind and our our social skills and our mental health um, looking after yourself by moving your body in a way that feels good to you looking after your stress levels it's I think it's such an encompassing term it's really hard to put into words but yeah really looking at that full full approach to, to health and and also the food amazing um and then lastly it can be a bit overwhelming to try and improve your relationship to food obviously like we said it's a process it's a journey if you could give one piece of advice today and it may be tomorrow's a completely different answer but today if I was going to say someone wants to improve their relationship with food what piece of advice would you give them I would say kindness just be kind to yourself I always yeah. that always comes up with people you know there will be great days and we can celebrate that and we can celebrate the wins and there can be really hard days and it can feel like you're going backwards after taking 10 step forwards. And again, like you said, it's all a process and remaining kind to yourself, remaining 
speaking to yourself, how you speak to somebody that you love is so important during this process because it's very easy to hit a roadblock and want to just throw it all out the window and give up. But if you can remain kind and compassionate to yourself, practicing those skills is probably a really big aspect of improving your relationship with food that we don't talk about enough. But yeah, I would say kindness, remain kind, give yourself time, be patient. And once you get out the other side, it's going to be a whole new world. Yeah, I think the way we we treat ourselves is is so much that's one of the biggest learnings I've probably taken from like intuitive eating is like the the voice of in my head of how I talk to myself is so different and it has nothing to do with food it's just that like you said kindness and that sort of self-compassion as it were exactly exactly perfect so thank you so much for taking some some time out of your day to to join me uh I'll put instagram stuff uh all involved tag you etc and let everyone know where to find you so it's at f.i.g underscore nutrition underscore that's right yeah perfect exactly thank you sarah thank you so much for having me casey it was great chatting with you